The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix, and we'd recommend you check out the new documentary Descendant, now streaming on Netflix. This film by Margaret Brown is quite honestly one of our favorites of the year, and it's not just us. It's appearing on lots of Oscar preview lists. It's a richly layered story about the search for and the discovery of the Clotilda, the last known ship to arrive with enslaved Africans in the United States. But what it really is, is the story of the descendants of this ship, whose ancestors survived this horrible journey on the Clotilda, founded the community of Africa Town, which is now part of Mobile, and passed down their stories through the generations. This film, like these stories, is a true treasure. So check it out now on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, I'm talking to Tamana Ayazi and Marcel Metelzefen, the directors of In Her Hands. The film tells the story of Zarifa Garafi, who at 26 became one of Afghanistan's first female mayors and the youngest to ever hold the position. It's also a story of the final years of the Republic of Afghanistan, the fall of Kabul, and the Taliban's return to power. In Her Hands had its world premiere at the 2022 Toronto International Film Festival. It also screened at the Hamptons International Film Festival, Camden, and Dhaka NYC, among other places. Zarifa Ghaffari was named to Cinema Eye's 2023 The Unforgettables list, which is an honor recognizing documentary subjects. Tamana Ayazi is a filmmaker and journalist who recently worked on the Academy Award-winning short documentary Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone If You're a Girl. Marcel Metelzefen is a multi-award-winning filmmaker, photographer, cinematographer, and journalist whose films include Syria, Children on the Front Line, and Watani, My Homeland, which was nominated for an Academy Award for Documentary Short Subject. Early on in our conversation, I asked Tamana and Marcel to discuss their partnership because I'm always interested when there's a team of two directors, how they work together. In this case, Tamana is from Afghanistan, and certainly brings an insider's perspective to the subject. Marcel is the outsider. He's from Germany, but he's also worked for years as a filmmaker and journalist in Afghanistan. So together, I think they both make a very good filmmaking team. And as you'll see, bring different perspectives to this conversation. As far as the film goes, it's really interesting to watch Zarifa, the young mayor, as she navigates this extremely difficult political terrain in Afghanistan during a period when the country is divided. Clearly, as a woman mayor, she has an uphill battle. There's an early scene where she's speaking at a rally and the crowd is almost entirely male and she is imploring them to support women and women's rights. It's fascinating to watch her just do the work of trying to be a mayor in these incredibly trying times. Of course, we encourage you to watch the film and listen to the podcast in any order you wish. In Her Hands premieres globally on Netflix on November 16th. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and do tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Twitter at TopDocsPod. And now my conversation with Tamana Ayazi and Marcel Metelzefen, the directors of In Her Hands. Tamana Ayazi and Marcel Metelzefen, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you, Ken. 
Thank you for having us. By the time you started this project, Sarifa Ghaffari was already getting quite a bit of attention in the international press as both a woman mayor in Afghanistan and at age 26, the youngest mayor in the country. But what made you two want to make a film about her? And what kind of film did you want to make? And I would also add, what kind of film did you not want to make? So when we started thinking about making a film, we didn't want to make a biopic. We, of course, wanted to make a film about a strong woman, but we wanted to tell a story about Afghanistan and include the people. And Taliban were the other side, so we also wanted Taliban to be part of the film. And then we wanted the people of Afghanistan to have a representative, so Masum was the right person to film. And then Zarifa Ghafouri was wonderful. She was a brave woman who was working as a mayor in a province divided both by Taliban and former government. So it made her the right character and the right story. Also, she gave us the access and we didn't want to make a film only about one person. We wanted to add multi-layers to the film, and we tried to do that in this film. I think just to remember, this film started in early 2020. It was when the peace negotiation between the Trump government and the Taliban has started. And we knew this is a turning point for the country. There was this young, strong, new generation, well-educated, and all these dreams of this generation were on stake. And we decided, let's find a strong woman and tell her story and put with a strong character from the Taliban just to understand these two different visions of a country which is so divided. I want to back up for just a moment and for our audience who may not be that familiar with either of you, can you just tell us briefly about your backgrounds and highlight a couple of things from your work? Marcel, why don't you jump in? So I come from journalism. I've been covering conflict for the last 22 years. In the beginning as a photojournalist, and it was the Arab Spring when I changed and transformed into documentary filmmaking. And I did always try to break down complicated stories and context to an emotional storyline to find this nutshell where you are able to, as a foreign audience, to relate to what's going on in this country. I lived in Afghanistan 10 years ago as a photojournalist, but then when I came back, and we first started to work together, Tamana and me, in 2017, that I, people like Tamana, people like Sarifa, who are the hope and been the hope for this country. And I realized that all this is about to be threatened by the pullout of the international community. And Tamana, I believe you also have a journalism as well as a film background, correct? Yes. So I'm Afghan coming from North Afghanistan. I started citizen journalism and documentary filmmaking when I was in high school. And then I took a break when I started university. So I tried to study business. I studied business, but then I thought that I'm not a money person. So based to keep doing what I love, I was making short documentary films. And I was also working as a researcher and journalist based in Afghanistan. I was part of the team learning how to skateboard in a war zone if you're a girl. And then continued making films, then we decided to work on In Her Hands together. I am interested in filmmaking duos. How did you work as a team, both in the field and throughout the project? There were times we were best friends. 
agreed on <laughs> everything, everything. And then there were times we had to convince each other whenever that was a sequence, whenever we were editing, like throughout the project. Yeah, it was quite a journey, a long one, but we did learn a lot during this time from each other. And how did you divide up the roles if you did, or were you both doing everything? On the field, since I was the DOP as well, especially in this kind of character-led documentaries, it's the verite which involves in front of the camera. So if things are happening, then you're almost riding a wave. You just follow with the camera and you surf it. You surf the wave as long as you can, which is, I think, one of the most unbelievable moments when you realize this is a strong sequence and you just follow with the camera. I think the moments when a good team works together is you read other people's minds. You know that we are on the same page. You just feel the same thing and you understand. For example, one very essential example is the interviews. I never want to have anything translated on the spot. Tamana was leading the interviews because she speaks the language. I don't speak the language. Sarifa does understand English, speaks actually English, but we did everything in Farsi and Pashto. But it was this common interest in the emotions and to understand, okay, here is something. If me as somebody who doesn't speak language feels what she's saying, even without understanding what she's saying, then obviously it's going to be strong. And Tamana was always on the same part. This was not emotional stuff. This is getting too political. And we were always been interested in the emotional journey throughout the whole film. Insisting on this, it's very easy to completely get stuck in the nitty gritty of a complicated political context in Afghanistan and you lose all the audience to say, okay, what is the focus here? What is the sequence? What is the sequence standing for with all the limitations you have in a country like Afghanistan, which is basically only in limitations. It's so hard to film in Afghanistan. That's where we clicked immediately and why we thought it's working because we were on the same page. So let's talk about the film. I want to start with the opening scene. The opening scene starts on 15 August 2021, which is the day that Kabul fell to the Taliban. And in this scene, we see a young woman who's at this point is not identified. And she's frantic because all around her in the city of Kabul, the Taliban is taking over. And we see her in a room and she embraces a man and says, Bashir, I won't leave you here. I won't go anywhere without you. She then takes off in her escape from this danger. And this, to me, seems like a scene we've seen before in fiction films, but a, this is real, it's not fiction, and B, it does subvert the normal gender dynamic in which it practically always is the man who's leaving in the action movie or the political thriller who says to the woman, I won't leave you behind, famous last words. Granted, like I said, that this actually happened this way and you weren't controlling events, but nonetheless, this scene does establish, I think, right away that the normal gender roles, quote unquote, normal gender roles, will be subverted. This film will feature a woman as the hero of the story. Can you talk about not just starting the film with probably the most dramatic moment, but also framing the story with images of a woman in action that we're not used to seeing that often? We started the film with that moment because that was the lowest part of our lives as Afghans. That was the saddest moment we experienced so far. And it was important for us to put it in the front of the film, for people to understand, to see where we come from, where we are, 
and what we want in the future. It was a crazy day because for the past 20 years, we worked hard to become where we were before 15th of August. And then all dreams and hopes collapsed with the government. It was important to show that. Anything to add, Marcel? There have been so many front titles for this film. This edit was, I think, the most challenging. All edits are complicated. All beginnings are complicated. But here we had such a complicated puzzle. We needed to understand how to put it all together. And it was the beginning which we needed to say. We see a strong woman. And I think, as you very clearly said, the relationship between Sarifa and Bashir are a complete upside-down relationship what you expect normally in Afghanistan. Here's the woman who is so strong, who's so dominant, who is so bold. In German, you say, with your head through the wall, and you have the supportive husband, which you normally don't see, <laughs> not even in the West, especially not in Afghanistan, which is quite an uh, interesting story. She let us in, even into her private life. She gave us access and trusted us enough in order to tell the story of her relationship. And that's what we wanted to set and start with the film. I think whether we're aware of it or not, we do get a sense of you as the filmmaking team being allowed to be in that room at such a low moment, as you say, Tamana, and such a pivotal moment. We don't want to get too caught up in Afghan politics, but I did want to ask how she became mayor, because it's mentioned fairly briefly that she was appointed mayor, and there's a whole process that she had to go through, and there were a lot of obstacles. Can you just briefly, Tamana, clarify, how did she become mayor? How did other people become mayors in Afghanistan during the previous regime, during the republic? So it was changing almost every few years. When she applied to become a mayor, the application was open for everybody, both men and women, to apply, send their CV, documents, and strategy as a mayor. So she did that. She submitted her application, her CV, and the strategy for the position, and then she got shortlisted with other 10 people, men and women. And after that, she did an interview with three different departments within the government. And then she did a written test, by the way as well. She got top score and three people were shortlisted. One former toilet commander, one influenced person from Isbis Lomi, another political party, and Zarifa. So she was the only woman. And then they were interviewed by the president, Ashraf Ghani, former president of Afghanistan. And she got selected because she had the highest score at the same time, good strategy for the position. So she was pretty carefully vetted and clearly earned the position. I am intrigued by her as a politician and in seeing the political skills and savvy that I think she demonstrates in the film, as well as the constraints that she as a mayor in Afghanistan and of this particular city faced. There are two scenes I wanted to highlight. One is right near the beginning when she goes to this rally and speaks to a group of people who are assembled who seem to be almost entirely male, if not entirely male, of different ages. And she urges the crowd in this scene to stand by your sisters, let them be educated. And at first, the crowd seems pretty unmoved by what she's saying. Later, as the rally goes on, we see some of the younger people who take up with her message. And by the end, it seems win over at least a portion of the crowd. 
This is a scene where I think we become aware of the constraints that she's under as a politician. Can you talk about the difficulties she faced in getting her message across and just being able to govern as a mayor of this place? So sexism is everywhere, and it's in another level in Afghanistan. So men never accept women to lead, even to work with them in the same level. So it's a bit complicated, and it was complicated for Zarifa. She was not accepted in the beginning, but she didn't give up. She used all the platforms to push for it. She waited a few months, and then she went back to the office, although they closed the doors of her office. And then on the street, she was trying to win hearts of the people. And it was important for her to bring more people together to make the change she wanted to happen. And we clearly see that in the relay she did. And she was the only woman. There were a few others who joined later, but it was her who was leading like more than, I don't know, 200, 300 men on the street in a place like Maidan Wardak. And that's not normal. Like people do it in other provinces and big cities, but in Maidan Wardak, people are scared because half of the population were controlled by Taliban or were Taliban. And then when we saw her, we knew that she is the bravest person, maybe, if not in the country, but in that province that day. And you can see that she managed to bring at least the younger ones, made them to repeat what she was saying. So it means that there was hope. And we could see it during that day. Like in the beginning, they were not really interested. But then at the end, so many people went with her and they continued chanting the same messages, demanding the same education, work, peace. And it was important and it was, yeah, mind-blowing. Marcel, did you have anything you wanted to add? This moment of the rally, I think it was the third day or the second day we were with Sarifa. It's early 2020. And as Tamana said, this is one of the most dangerous streets in Afghanistan. It's the entry streets to Kabul. It was where not only the Americans been targeted basically daily, it's where she as well been targeted three times. And despite all this risk, she always thought, nobody going to stop me, regardless the danger. I don't show that I don't give up. We have this moment where I follow with the camera, I see her and she has this natural power of a leader and been as Ibutu-like, she wore Gandhi-like, she walked through the masses. And I thought, this is natural talent. What she's been saying quite a lot of times is that what she's doing in Afghanistan, women in Europe have been doing 100 years ago. And it's about her generation the Sarifas, the Tamanas in this country to go up and stand up and say, we deserve better and we do what we want, what we need to do. I never seen something like this. And it was impressive that you find somebody who really represents this empowerment by her actions. She's a physical force of nature. We see that in this scene. She's undaunted. She's just going to go forward into this environment and just get her message across however she can. She just goes for it. But she's also quite smart and savvy. And we see that in the scene where she goes to Washington, D.C. to accept this award from the U.S. State Department, the Woman of Courage Award, which was given to 10 women from around the world. This was an interesting window for me into her savviness as a politician, because I think it's clear that she sees she needs to walk a fine line between continuing to try to get the support of the U.S. government and also being aware of what people back home are going to think of this event and not being seen as a puppet of the U.S. government. 
So in her speech, I thought it was interesting that the first words she said were, I'm not a hero. And for me, that was not just sort of a humble thing that people say, but it was a message to the folks back home. Yeah, I'm getting this award, but that's not really why I'm here. And then she turns to the State Department and says, we're worried for the future, meaning you need to keep supporting us or we're going to fall. One thing I liked about her during that time, because we knew since 2018, when peace negotiations started between the U.S. and the Taliban and Afghans were not involved, whenever we had a representative from the country, even now it's the same. It's not only one person who talks. So whenever he, she had a meeting or a conference or visits like this, she contacted friends and people around her, and she asked for the messages they wanted her to deliver. So same thing happened. She sent this message, like her statement to a few friends. She sent it to me as well to see as an Afghan what I think about it. So yeah, she was very careful to think about both sides. We do need the support, but also we have to be voice of our own people, our country. In an interview, she tells that when she got this prize and she had said to one of the representatives of the U.S. government, we as an Afghan woman, I'm here in order to ask why the Trump government is deciding about my future as a woman in Afghanistan without asking me how I want to live. How would Trump's daughter feel if we Afghans would decide how she has to dress and how she has to live her future? And I thought she's invited, but at the same time she comes in and said, I do speak my own thoughts, even I'm talking to the biggest superpower in the world. Undaunted, for sure. Not long into the film, we meet Zarifa's driver and bodyguard, Masoom, who it turns out is going to play a big part in this film, especially as the Taliban get closer and closer to taking over the country. And eventually, Masoom occupies his own space in the film, not just as someone commenting on Zarifa. This, frankly, was a surprise to me and something I found to be just fascinating and really opened up the film beyond, as you said, being a biopic, for sure. Can you talk about your relationship with Masoom and how you made the decision, because I think it was a crucial one as directors, to continue to film with him, even as he eventually lost his job working for Zarifa? So he was not only a bodyguard. He knows a lot about politics. He lived in three, four different provinces, and he knows how things are on a daily basis in Afghanistan. He's a poet. He's a writer. And he does not follow everything. So this was clear from the beginning when we met him. And also, I remember when we were doing the first interview with Masoom, we were in the small room, three of us, and he started talking about Zarifa and then politics, Afghanistan, his experiences. We looked at each other and we were like, we need to film him. We need to continue filming him. But we didn't know that he would become that strong, that important in the film. I think you always need a strong secondary character. Otherwise, you're lost in a film. And we had the problem that the secondary character was a bit too strong, actually. <laughs> and it was painful because we had so much amazing footage with him. And the puzzle needs to be right. We had to kill so many babies and not being able to include it in the film just because he overweights. He is so strong. So we recognize obviously quite quick that he is so charismatic. When Kabul fall, especially when she had to decide that she had to leave her job in Maidanshara because her father got killed and it was too dangerous to risk the life of any other family member. So she gets promoted and she was not able to take him with her 
out of a lot of different reasons, which for him was the moment of saying, I feel betrayed. She did not take me to Kabul and she left without me to Germany, a sentiment which obviously a lot of Afghans, 99% who couldn't make it out, felt betrayed by the international community, felt betrayed by the people who managed to leave. We realized, okay, here he is going a journey which a lot of people have been going. These disappointments, these huge expectations, them believing in something and having this moment of what's with me? Why them and not me? I'm here, I'm poor. And he had to adjust to a new reality. Being now in a country which is ruled by a Taliban and where there is no escape from them, the way how he speaks about it, the moment where we meet the guy who shot at him, it was a moment of act of killing kind of moment where you realize he meets his murders and he's even able to reflect about it in such a poetic way that you say, wow, this is pure poetry. And I would just highlight that scene that you mentioned. It's after the fall of Kabul and you're back with Masoom and he needs to go through this checkpoint this is the moment of truth for him because he's going to be confronted directly with the Taliban and he needs to come up with a compelling story and not only a story, but a persona that is going to put them at ease and convince them to let him live, essentially. So it is an extraordinary character moment. It's an unbelievable scene. So glad you guys were able to capture that. It's a magic scene. Absolutely. When you're filming this and you say, that's not true, what's going on here? <laughs> And to see, as you said, the ability of this guy to keep him holding the hands, it's so physical in Afghanistan, and smiling when we finally leave and we sit down somewhere to reflect and digest what's going on. And he said, I was just holding the hand of the person who shot at me. It was definitely a very, very, very strong moment. And we should not forget that we try to symbolize he is representing people of Afghanistan and he's not the only person. There are millions of people who are living under Taliban regime at the moment who lost their friends, their family members, loved ones in Taliban exclusions and for the past 20 years in conflict. I do want to talk about the Taliban. So you mentioned this when you were talking about the kind of film you wanted to make, that it was important to also talk to the Taliban. And I think that's another critical decision you made that makes this film transcend the kind of film it could have been to become something much bigger and more important. But it's one thing to say, OK, we want to talk to the Taliban and present their point of view, but you actually had to get their permission to do so. You were put in contact with somebody. Musafir is his name. We meet him. He's somewhere in the mountains of Afghanistan, and it's an area that really is pretty much under total Taliban control. Can you talk about this process of engaging with the Taliban to get their buy-in to allow you to shoot? And we're able to not just shoot one interview with him, but come back multiple times and actually shoot some observational sequences. In order to film, but that time to be able to go and film with the soldiers, commanders, or anyone else, we had to take permission from the leadership. And before us, there were some journalists and filmmakers who visited the Taliban territory. They filmed them, but they made reportage, not something similar to what we made, because we needed to spend more time with the Taliban, but they gave us two days only. So we were there the first two days. Basically, we wanted to build the trust, the relationship. 
to be able to get access to come back again and again. And we managed to do it. The first day, they were not ready to talk to me, to be honest. I was allowed to be there, but I had to cover myself, no makeup. But I did tell them that, you know, you might Google my name. This is not who I am. But yeah, this is how it is, because it was one of the rules to be able to follow me, have to follow all these rules. So we were there, but slowly it all happened. We got the access, we managed to go back again and again. And then at the end, I remember when we were saying goodbye to the leader, he wanted to shake hands with me. He was blushing. I was shocked. There were all these men in that small room, Taliban commanders coming from different provinces. They had their guns and staff. And then we had our producer in that specific province. He was scared. He was like, don't shake hands. I was like, I'm not sure what do I do now because normally I do shake hands. But now I'm, you know, in front of this taller leader. But yeah, we managed to film and we got an amazing access and Musafir was a good storyteller. He liked to talk. He wanted to show us the villages. He wanted to talk about his background, where he comes from, why he does what he does, all these things. But it was also difficult for me as an Afghan, especially Afghan woman who lost close to ones in Taliban explosions. Taliban attacked my university in 2016 and I was there and late 2019 and also 2020. So it was complicated, but as a filmmaker, you just need to sit there, listen to them. You can't be biased. You just have to listen to be able to understand people. I just wanted to do a quick follow-up with you about being a woman and shooting with them. It sounds like you did shake his hand and you earned their respect, it sounds like. Is that accurate? I did. And Whenever they send me messages, it was very respectful, but it happened only to me because I don't know for some reason, but how they treat women now in Afghanistan is not the same as they treated me. We have to be clear when we talk about my experience and the rest of the people who are living under Taliban regime at the moment. There was one day when all men started shooting using guns and stuff. They wanted to show off to each other. I was sitting in the car and then they were making fun of me. They thought that I can't, I don't know how to use the gun. And then I got out of the car and it was my first time. They didn't know that it was my first time. So I used the gun and they started laughing, but also clapping, saying that, yeah, you got this. We know that you can. But of course, my experience was totally different than the rest of the people who are living in Afghanistan now. Marcel, did you want to follow up? Yeah, there's so much to obviously describe. It was very strong moments to see the mountains where we were. Tamana was the first woman after 25 years who even put foot on this mountain. But let's not forget, we did not go to front lines. We did not go to Qatar, to the real leadership. We met the leader of Musafir, who was the leader of a group, but Musafir was a very ordinary Taliban. And that's what we wanted to see. We wanted to see the ordinary people, the villagers who are controlled by the Taliban, who basically supported the Taliban, to understand why they support the Taliban, why they became Taliban. Mustafar used to work for an American NGO a couple of years ago, and then he realized that the money went into the wrong hands. Corruption is always the excuse or the reason was either they are corrupt, and I got fed up that the money is going to the wrong hands and the poor people are not getting anything, so we want to defend the poor. That's one story you hear, or my brother got killed by the Americans and I had to take revenge kind of thing. 
But again, we wanted to hear the countryman, not the leadership, and to understand them. And you see, once you gain the trust, they are human beings. They're not monsters. They're not killing you when you turn around and don't pay attention. They can, in a way, trust them. It's always a very complex thing to understand if you're suddenly with somebody who obviously don't respect because he is a member of an evil movement. But I think for us, it was very important to be able to listen to these voices, to understand. I think for us as filmmakers, the challenge obviously was this thin line to say, okay, they obviously are interested in PR. We want to only have the whole picture of the story and how are we able to make our vision clear that it's about to do the 360 degrees and not to give them a platform in order to spread their ideology and to justify their terrible actions. I think the film definitely is a film about dialogue. It's a film about understanding different points of view. And it's also a film about relationships. Two relationships that I think are absolutely key to Zarifa, as they are to almost all of us, which is her relationship with her parents. So her relationship with her dad, who was a strike force commander in the Ministry of Defense, was a very close one. We see in the film that he's also a bit of a traditionalist in how he viewed gender roles, but they're also very close. So what can you tell us about what you saw in their interactions that indicated just how powerful and conflicted this relationship was from both sides? Because we primarily see it from her side, but how about from his side as well? It's a bit tricky. I think it's everywhere. So I was watching a few films from this part of the world and there were similar conversations. I don't want to generalize, but it's always a huge gap between a man and woman, the decisions they make, gender inequality, it's everywhere. And this is the problem. That's why we need to fix it. That's why we need the stories like Zarifa's. It was a complicated relationship, Zarifa and her father's relationship, because they loved each other, but also they had their disagreements. At the same time, the conflict was there. I met him a few times. Not a lot. We didn't manage to permit her. He was not really interested and we couldn't really push. But he looked a good human being, but also traditional at the same time. And I wanted to also bring in her mother, Karima, because even though she doesn't occupy much screen time in the first part of the film, at least, when she does come on, it's in a very powerful and tragic situation after her husband is killed by the Taliban. And it's in this moment where you interview her that it dawned on me that Zarifa's strength probably comes at least as much, if not more so, from her mother than from her father. They were very close to each other. As you said, Zarifa learned how to be brave, strong, tough from her mother. She was telling me stories. It's not in the film, but... We talked a lot. We met a lot. We spent a lot of time together. She was telling me when the kids were little how she went in the mountains to all these villages to help other women, educate other women. She was part of a program to educate women who were not able to go to school. I think they reflect each other a lot. They learn so much from each other. And there were times when they spoke and you could say that they are mother-daughter and also very close friends, even best friends. They inspired each other and they inspired me and they are a strong woman. 
Can you talk about one scene, which for me is just heartbreaking, and I think must be representative of, of so many people's experience in the country as a whole. All experiences are unique, but this one struck me as particularly universal in which Zarifa and her mother take Zarifa's young brother, Numan, to spend a day going on a Ferris wheel, riding in a boat after their father's been killed. And it's just a day to forget the pain just for one day. And it's a very intimate scene. It's a family moment. But I wanted to hear what it was like for you as filmmakers to spend that day with them. When we met the mother, we realized that this was such an unbelievable, strong, emotional interview. We thought, okay, we have to spend a day out and we're happy that we could go to this amusement park. Sitting on the boat and seeing the mother, it's like Karasumaki's films. She's in the boat and she looks into the infinity and you see all the pain in her eyes. It's like a painting, actually. I was filming it and I was crying while filming because it was so painful to see this and you don't need any words and you understand the pain the whole country going through. And that's what makes Sarifa again so unbelievably strong. She opens her arms and she said, let it go, relief. We have to move on. Despite the pain, despite the horror, despite all the tragic we're going through as a family, as women, and as a country. And the ending needed to be like this. We join the storm because we belong to here and we don't give up because it's hope. I think for us, this moment in this boat scene, because of the intensity of the emotions of the mother, which then transformed in her and being even stronger, make this one of the key moments of our film. After the fall of Kabul, the family manages to get out of the country and they go to Germany. And for me, one of the most heartbreaking scenes was actually one of the most silent. It's one in which the family is sitting on this sectional couch watching TV. And what you see is this incredibly active, engaged family that's now suddenly forced by events to just be passive watchers of events on TV. And what they're watching are women protesters. But it doesn't stop there. It actually initiates Zarifa going back to Afghanistan, which for me was probably the biggest shock of the film. I mean, I was like, okay, the family's safe. They're in Germany. They can't go back. That's it. But she is determined to still be involved in Afghanistan, and she manages to go back for a brief period. Can you just talk about whether you were as surprised as I was that she decided to go back and that she was able to make this happen, even if just for a short period of time? I was quite shocked. All of us, we were shocked. We had meetings like at least once or twice a day to talk about this. She decided to go back. It was a big shock. But also that Zarifa, she's unexpected and it makes sense. That's who she is. But there were people who went back to Afghanistan, some politicians and people who were not politicians, but who left after 15th of August, 2021. But it was another PR for Taliban. They wanted people to come back. They wanted to show the international community that they will not harm people who were working with the international community, for example. But of course, Zarifa's decision was different. She went there. She was there for a few days. She came back to Germany. Her aim was to continue supporting the women who are left behind. And I appreciate it. And she was quite clear about what she wanted to do. And that's who she is. She is not the same as others. She is different and she does things differently. 
I feel like it's important to pull back for a minute and look at the bigger picture. Warning to you guys that this question is going to be impossibly broad to answer and maybe a bit naive sounding. But nonetheless, I do think it should be asked, which is what lessons does the Afghanistan story, by which I don't just mean the period of U.S. military presence in the country or even the reign of the Taliban, but the entire history of Afghanistan as a country, and even before it was a country, what does its entire history tell us about what is unique about this as a place? And obviously, Tamana, you grew up there. It's your home. And Marcel, you've spent a lot of time there working as well. What does the entire history of Afghanistan tell us about what is unique about this place and how the rest of the world should engage with it in a constructive and not a destructive way? Let me just, as a foreigner who've been traveling quite a lot in the last 20 years to this country, I think I, I managed to at least fell in love with the soul of this people. We've been playing with the idea of calling this film Mardum, which means the people. Sarifa is one of the people. There are a lot of other very well-educated politicians and other women in Afghanistan, but what Sarifa makes so special is that she is somebody of this people. Uh, Afghanistan is a history of missed opportunities, of lack of vision of superpowers who invaded the country in order to fight battles on foreign grounds. And it was always this people who had to suffer the consequences. And I think what we have to learn is to just realize that these people do have very strong people among themselves who do hopefully one time take the opportunity, the possibility to rule themselves uh, into a better future. 40 years stuck in violence creates obviously a dynamic which is very, very difficult to break out. And I think what we want to do with this film is to show that there is hope. And if there needs to be a change, then it definitely is well a change as in gender. As she says in the first second sentence, she says, man tried it 40 years and they failed. So perhaps it's now this new other generation and perhaps the women of the country like in Iran who should bring change for good in order to try to fix what's been broken because there is a lot of potential and they deserve it. And Tamana, we're going to give you the last word here. As Marcel said, we all failed in Afghanistan. We as Afghans failed in Afghanistan. International community failed in Afghanistan. The U.S. failed in Afghanistan. Our politicians failed in Afghanistan. But we should not stop. We need to fix. We need to learn from our mistakes. And it's not only about Afghanistan. Conflict is in so many other countries. Other countries also need to learn from our mistakes, from our experiences. And I think Afghans, they are peaceful. They like peace. They don't like war, but unfortunately, they were played for so many years by our own politicians and also international community. We had new opportunities and freedoms for the past 20 years. We worked really hard to be where we were last year until August 15th, but everything collapsed. Why? Because wrong people were in the right places. That's why we need women, a strong woman, to take control of the country and move forward. Can you give us an update on Zarifa and Bashir and the whole family? Zarifa was in London with Marcel and I. She went back to Germany. She's based in Germany with her family. All of them are there. Masum is safe. We talk. And once you make a phone, I think it never stops. You have to be in touch with everyone. Make sure they are okay. Make sure everything is going well and they are happy with everything we do. 
because we keep talking about that one, but we are also careful how they feel about it. So we send them updates, even if they are not around. Zarif wrote a book as well. She's very active. She's just moving on. She wants to go back to Afghanistan and continue her work there with her organization. Before we go, what's up next for each of you? It's very interesting because when I got out of Afghanistan, I was busy with this film. And then after that, I was still thinking to go back. But then when I see the world, I'm like, this world needs more filmmakers, especially women filmmakers in front of and behind the camera. So yeah, I will continue making films and I'm developing a few film ideas and hopefully I will start working on them very soon. Marcel, how about you? I'm actually editing two films, which are again about Afghanistan. Just when you've been so long in a country on a long project, you bump into so many other stories, which I just finished now. One is about two set of children, two Taliban kids and two girls. And we are weaving basically these two different visions from a child perspective together. And it's quite a powerful way to see this conflict through the eyes of children. Well, I want to congratulate you on this film and say you have succeeded in telling a story about Afghanistan that I think is a 360-degree view, as Marcel said, I think, earlier, and one that is incredibly deep and meaningful and profound. I want to thank you for being with us and wish you both the best from here on out. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. We like to ask our guests, do you each have a recommendation for a documentary hidden gem? I would like to recommend one from Afghanistan would be Facing the Dragon. These films didn't really get the recognition they deserve. How about you, Marcel? We're producing a documentary right now in Ukraine since January. And by developing and producing this, I got a, along this amazing documentary, which I think it got attention, but I was just blown away again. It's called The Distant Barking of Dogs. It's a brilliant, beautiful study of this, this relationship of this young boy and the grandmother at the front lines somewhere in Ukraine. Beautiful film.